Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. This is Chuck Curry alongside my co-host, Kenny B. Mike uh, Rags uh, on hiatus for this week's program so kenny b filling in for mike rags this is our movie maniacs podcast also broadcast on whoa 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 fort wayne indiana and also ken on cool 98.5 in phoenixville pennsylvania and this week we've hidden mike the same place where the dallas cowboys hid their offense last week then they did definitely hit their uh, offense in a very big way a lot of talk about a lot to uh, talk about uh this segment uh in terms of uh avatar way of water crash across the two billion dollar mark at the box office the oscar nominations were announced led by 11 nominations for everything everywhere all at once uh for the most part fairly predictable but a lot of uh, interesting uh elements here that can create i think some good stories come oscar night in march once again hosted by jimmy kimmel on abc i got a chance to see a couple films that uh I like. I'm going to talk about in a second, but I just want to get to you, Ken. How you doing, and uh, what's new in your life? I am doing great. I am watching the snow fall, of course. Uh, as I was uh, driving back to my house today, I was l- lucky. I timed things so perfectly. The snow started falling as I hit my driveway. So beautiful white day right now. Very good. Uh, I, I got first of all before I get into what. Have you seen anything since last? Uh, uh, show last week that you'd like to talk about on the air? Uh, I haven't seen anything uh, any, anything really uh, movie-wise, and not even the things I saw on, on Netflix didn't really stick with me very much. Okay, before we get into the Oscar nominations, and I, know I just want to preface, our main topic in the second half of this show is going to be twofold. It's going to be uh, looking back at the list of Oscar winners uh, since the Oscars started way back in the uh, what was it nineteen the nineteen twenties, Ken? Nineteen twenty seven. There was actually two award. Nineteen twenty seven. There were two award shows that year. Okay, so we're going to do either. We have an either or, which I think is going to be somewhat fun. I have five and five on my list: movies that we were glad that they won the Oscar for Best Picture. Or we could do a, I wish this movie won instead of the one that actually won. So I have five uh, in one, in, in one five in the other. I think it'll be a fun category. I, get, I got a chance to see two movies since our last uh, broadcast. One, first off, I want to talk about A Man Called Otto. Now, it was raining a few days ago. Actually, last week it was raining. Well, somewhat snow, a little bit of snow, a little bit of rain. It was a raw day, and we had booked it at the theater that we're involved in, me and Ken, Pocono Cinema and Cultural Center in East Strasburg. So I said to my wife, I said, you know, we, we have nothing to do for a couple hours until we pick up our daughter from school. Why not go over to the theater and watch A Man Called Otto, both fans? of Tom Hanks. I got to tell you, Ken, I sat there, watched this movie, and about 25 people in the audience. It was a pretty good crowd for a show at this theater. I personally was not prepared for the emotional experience that this movie was. I got to tell you, I like this movie a lot. I've always been a Tom Hanks fan. He is, I would say, in our generation, 
an absolute institution. No matter what he does, he just elevates every project that he does. So this movie is being was being marketed as Tom Hanks as Otto, the grumpiest man alive. And the studio is really selling this movie as a comedy. Now it does have comedic elements and. Uh, there are moments that make you laugh, but this also has very under underlying serious drama, uh, and it deals with themes which I found ultimately very moving on an emotional level, sort of like if it's, it's a wonderful life in the respect that here's a guy that has anger issues or is not happy and doesn't um, doesn't connect well with others because he's always grumpy, and what the movie does and what they didn't show in the trailers is it tells you why. And it does that in the form of very, very effective flashbacks. And the younger Tom Hanks in this movie is played by his, uh, by, by his uh, son, his name's Truman Hanks, and he does a really good job, and it shows how he first met his wife, they met on a train, and they flash back and forth on their experience when he was younger, and he has he lives on this block, and he has next-door neighbors, and this is Tom Hanks uh, as the older Otto, and it shows how he connects with these people, and how ultimately they both influence each other's life. Now... The last act of this movie, I think, has real power to it. And when this film is over, I got to tell you, myself and the other 25 people in the audience really sat there and watched the credits and enveloped an experience that we had just witnessed. This movie was better than I thought it was going to be, a lot better. Uh, very emotional, very powerful. Tom Hanks, once again, was good. The supporting characters, his next-door neighbor, uh, a woman named, uh, an actress named Marion uh, Tremini, I was not familiar with her, I believe she's a stage actress, did a really good job, had excellent chemistry with Tom Hanks. I give this movie an 8.5 out of 10. I think it's absolutely worth seeing, whether you're a Tom Hanks or just movie-going fan. And it was a joy for me to sit there and watch a two-hour movie that was character-driven, where people weren't flying around on the screen with superhero capes. And I was totally into it. This movie's a winner, and I was super glad that I had uh, seen it. I highly recommend that Yeah, one. a cu- couple of things on that, although I haven't sure. seen it, but that, as we know, that doesn't stop me from talking about things. Sure. First, sure. first of all, of course, that is based on a man named Olaf, which I think you probably had a couple of years ago as well, a foreign film. But, yes. but more importantly, uh, a, a mutual acquaintance of ours, mutual friend, perhaps even, Mark Lipsky, who was a producer of some early uh, uh, movies by Eddie Murphy. Uh, I had lunch with him last Thursday, and he was effusive in his praise. Very seldom does he tell me I have to go see a movie, but he told me I have to go see this one, so I very well will go see this movie. Now, I saw another movie. We also booked The Whale. Now, I've wanted to see this movie because I heard all the buzz on Brendan Fraser, and this is a very nice uh, resurrection or comeback story, even though Brendan Fraser has worked in the last five years, but it feels like we haven't seen him. So I go in, and I, it, was, it was on Sunday. I had made plans the day before. I said, I'm going to go see this movie. And I sat down and watched it. There's about 20 people in the audience. And I will say this. This is not one of those movies where you walk out and go, boy, I really dug it, or I really liked it. But I got to tell you, I did like it, and it stayed with me. And I sat down, and I said to myself when this was over, one, this was a very unique experience because I don't think there's ever been a movie made 
a feature. And then this movie is directed by Darren Aronofsky, who who is a very interesting filmmaker who's delved into darker material like Requiem of a Dream. He resurrected Mickey Rourke with The Wrestler, a fantastic movie. He got polarizing reaction to a movie called Mother a few years ago with Jennifer Lawrence, a movie I actually liked because it made me think. And I think that's good. Uh, I like The Whale, and i tell you why. I thought Brendan Fraser playing a homebound uh, psychologically scarred 600 pound man was one unique two I was into it I was into his character plays a character named Charlie I thought Brendan Fraser absolutely owned this movie from beginning to end it's one hiccup Ken is there's a scene in this movie where his daughter uh, played by Sadie Silk who's on Stranger Things gives the character her father Charlie their estranged daughter and father uh, ambient to basically knock him out and it takes the Brendan Fraser character out of the story for like 15 minutes and then it focuses on her issues I thought that was a little bit of a mistake in the narrative having said that the movie recoups and the last act of this movie has two extremely thought-provoking and powerful scenes of real emotion that had to me pay off in spades the movie has not been nominated for best picture i get it it takes place in one apartment it's two hours but brenda frazier is nominated for best actor uh the supporting actress yu chan who plays his nurse in this movie is outstanding it's a very natural performance doesn't feel like you're watching an actress a lot of this film just feels like you're just you're having a, 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 a an eavesdrop into a handful of characters there's four characters in the entire film but brendan fraser owns this movie this is well worth seeing if you're into serious affair serious fair at the movies uh a great performance he i think will probably be a favorite, a slight favorite, but not a definitive favorite to win the Oscar for Best Actor. He's awesome. I was glad I saw this movie. There were some people at the end, I could tell by nervous laughter or comments they made that they felt like they watched something that disturbed them. There were a few reviews I read that actually said that Darren Aronofsky, this is how I think, personally, misguided some people are, what they watch things, that he made a horror movie about a fat man. It's not what this movie is. It's just, listen, and then another person said that uh, Darren Aronofsky is basically shining a horrible light on the fact that this man is obese. Well, first of all, this is just my opinion. Being a 600-pound man is not normal, right? It's not good. It's not healthy. You can't simply say that's okay and that person's going to live a completely happy life. I thought, I thought it was a, a, a good character study of something that is different. I mean, uh, and I've never seen a movie with a 600-pound person, and I really did wind up liking it. I'd give it a, I'd give it a 7.8 out of 10 and I, I love the performance by Brenda Frazier I'm glad I saw this film yeah I, all I have to say is you know you people that want to go out there fat shaming you're the same people who cheered the uh, cannibal shaming of uh, Silence of the Lambs I mean I just can't understand it <laughs> well yeah I, I can't either but here I just want to point out I want to just point this out and, and this is just to prefacize on a topic that we've discussed where I said on the air that I think one of the biggest issues in in, in, in Hollywood is the cost of movies. Why are they so expensive? I'll give you an example. Man Called Otto 
50 million dollar budget right now movies made 50 million in the u.s it needs to make 100 million to break even i'm assuming tom hanks took a pretty decent salary that's why that production budget's up but the whale is a three three million production budget it's made 13 probably do about 20 so that movie's actually going to be fairly profitable i know there's a marketing campaign behind it but why does it cost three million to make the whale and 50 million to make uh, a man called Otto, and why does it cost $200 million to make a studio movie? I just think the, the, the issue in film is how do you get movies made? How do you get good skips produced? But how do you keep the costs at a realistic expectation? you have thoughts on that? Yeah, well, well two things. One is that sure. uh, if you want to make a movie for $3 million, you get somebody like Brendan Fraser to play the lead because... I get it. I get it. And, and second and of all, good. second of yeah. all, the amazing thing is of that $3 million, $2.5 million was for catering. Probably. Listen, here's the thing. That's exactly right. I mean, even a catering bill on a studio film is millions millions of dollars. I mean, to bring in techs and grips, nobody works cheap. I and to, mean, and to feed a 600-pound man. What does it take to feed a 600-pound man? And now I just want to point this out. The, the prosthetic effects in this movie... To witness Brendan Fraser playing this role, incredible. Like, I was, like, I think most people who sit in the audience watching this movie are like, the minute it starts, you're like, wow, like, holy smoke. That is beyond believable. Uh, how, how, they, how they, those effects, the prosthetics in this movie are absolutely flawless and uh, very, very imp- impre- impressive stuff. Now, uh, in terms of box office this weekend, Avatar. Way of Water, number one domestically, once again, $20 million, $598 million here in the U.S. As I said, just past the $2, million, $2, billion, $2 billion worldwide. Puss in Boots, $11.5, $126 million in five weeks of uh, release here domestically. Megan, uh, the, the new uh, PG-13 horror movie, $9.873 million in three weeks of release. That on a $13 million budget. They've already announced... There will be a sequel to Megan, which will be released in 2025. You, Beside going to a movie theater, you actually could go on your pay-per-view uh, stream and watch Megan for either $19.99 rent, $24.99 to buy. A new movie called The Mission uh, ran out the top uh, $4, $9.3 million. It's a decent opening weekend. I just want to point out one thing. The trailers, if you watch the trailers to Ant-Man Quantumania, which comes out February 17th, Marvel's really pushing the 3D aspect of this three, of this movie, meaning they want theaters to sell 3D tickets. Riding the back once again of Avatar with that film the original did 13 years ago. I don't want to see this trend of 3D, 3D, 3D. Hopefully... It begins and ends with Avatar and uh, Ant-Man. I just want to see every big movie released in uh, 3D. But they really are pushing 3D with Ant-Man, Quantumania. Your thoughts on that one, Ken? Well, you know, if they can ever come up with a way to show 3D where you don't have to wear those silly glasses, Mm -hmm. I'd be all for it. But uh, until then, I agree with you. Here's why I don't. Here's why I I have an issue. I just think 3D works on a part of the brain of the visual part of the brain and that part of the brain for two hours in avatar way of waters cases three hours is so overwhelming visually that for me personally i just have i have issues or trouble following the story and getting into the character of of the story over that long of a period being that visually overwhelmed that's that's just my 
Uh, that's just my thoughts on that uh, on that issue. I just don't want to go down the same dance we went down after the original Avatar for like a year or two. Uh, 90% of all showings were in 3D. Even bringing Martin Scorsese to make a statement that he wished he had 3D back in the 70s, he would have shot Taxi Driver in 3D. I never understood that one, but I guess it is what uh, it is. Let's do some um, This Week in uh, Movie or TV History. Let's go to TV. This is a big one, Ken. January 23rd, 1977, a miniseries called Roots premieres on ABC. It ran for, I believe, five consecutive nights with the ratings absolute bonanza. I remember being a young kid going to going to school, uh, elementary school, and even the students in elementary school were talking about this. The buzz was loud. It was one of the most powerful, uh, well-crafted uh, pieces of, of, of television ever put on network television. And I always remember in the last episode when Ben Vereen's Chicken George comes back and reunites with his family to save the day. To me, one of the most cathartic, emotional wallops of, uh, of, of power in the history of television. I thought Roots in 77 was iconic. And uh, I, I think it's, I, I personally think it's really good viewing for a younger generation now. Thoughts on that one? Oh, I, I agree totally. And they, uh, I mean, it had a, an ensemble cast that was fantastic. Um, it was timely, and I think it probably told the story much better than some of the movies that came after it that, that tried to do the same thing. Here's what it did brilliantly also. I mean, beside the fact that it cast beautifully, what it did, and it did this on purpose, it took, it cast America's favorite dads like Robert Reed of the Brady Bunch, Long Green of Bonanza, and made them, and then cast them as slave owners. And it sort of like perplexed the viewer, like, holy cow, Robert Reed, you know, the, the, the dad from the Brady Bunch is playing a slave owner. And it gave it even more power uh, to, to, to watch that. But, but LeVar Burton and John Amos, you know, both playing Kunta Kinte and just an amazing cast, uh, especially I think Ben Vereen, who was just incredible as Chicken George on that miniseries. Uh, really good stuff. And that followed the year before. You had uh, Rich Man, Poor Man, which was also a ratings hit uh, for, for ABC with Peter Strauss and made a, uh, a, a star out of uh, Nick, Nick Nolte and other you know, miniseries that, that rule a day. Wins a war with uh, Robert Mitchum, if you remember yes. that one. And then years later, there was like Stephen King's The Stand, which is also a big uh, hit. Now you got streaming, so you got limited series, which is sort of taking the mantle over the miniseries. But miniseries back in the day were really, really... Uh, Big uh, TV. Now, yeah, and it was, and it was actually, yeah, yeah. it was actually Mr. Brady and Ben Cartwright that I was thinking of when I talked about right. the ensemble cast because that yes. was that was a way to be in your face with the American public. That you know what, when we were talking about slave owners, we were talking about the guys that you knew from next door. Uh, it, it, that is the point you hit the nail on the head. This day uh, or this week in, in uh, actually January twenty third, nineteen eighty three. After the Super Bowl, NBC airs the first episode of the A-Team. George Papad, Mr. T, Dirk Benedict uh, becomes a, a hit. It only runs, I think, for four years. Gets out of the gate really well. It's a good cast. Makes a household name out of Mr. T, who hit big the same year playing Clubber Lang in Rocky 
Rocky three, but uh, I, I like the eighteen back in its initial run. Yeah, don't you love it when a plan comes together? I do, I do, and I, I thought you know George Papad uh, was really good. I know, I know from what I read, they actually looked at James Coburn uh, to play play that re- lead role of, of Hannibal, one with George Papad. George Papad was uh, had a good good screen good screen presence and a good attitude on screen. He did a really good job. And if you look back and talk about Rocky three, right in '83. Gave birth to the career of Mr. T, which he's still working now doing. You see him on commercials and he does trade shows and he was a pop culture name for many decades. And look at Rocky three did for Hulk Hogan, who played uh, Thunderlips and that and basically Vince McMahon snatched him and made him the lead wrestler of Hulk Hogan. And, uh, you know, he became a massive pulp uh, pop culture icon in, his, in the 80s and 90s. Hulk Hogan. So Mr. T, Hulk Hogan, born from Rocky Three, and then they both wound up doing individual projects that, uh, and that had very good uh, careers post that. And, that. and that's because you know the Hulkster was able to defeat the Iron Sheik in Madison Square Garden and keep him from taking the title back permanently to Iran. So I'm going yeah. to tell you a story. Now we'll bounce into for movies of wrestling. <laughs> I went to a lot of wrestling matches back in the day. Most of them, I thought, as much as I like going to Madison Square Garden, when they performed at the Meadowlands in New Jersey, they always put on really good shows. And of any sporting event I've ever seen, when Hulk Hogan actually came out and the fans erupted, the energy in those arenas were unlike anything I've ever seen. But I got to tell you, the greatest wrestling match I ever went to was at Madison Square Garden. It was at the height of the Iran-Contra uh, issue. It was Sergeant Slaughter against uh, the Iron Sheik. That's when people thought wrestling was real. Yeah, people, there are people back in the day who thought wrestling was completely real. Sergeant Slaughter defeats the Iron Sheik in a match that was incredible, and the fan base at Madison Square Garden went nuts. Uh, I miss those days, Ken. I, I have to be honest. There's, there's something different about the culture, maybe a little more pure. Uh, we're unexposed or desensitized to what we see now, but uh, that, that was a good memory. So, so you mean that back then people thought it was real as opposed to today we know it's real? Yes, yes. Okay. And that's to say, I could go into a whole diatribe of how that evolved on Good Morning America when Vince McMahon uh, it had to admit, due to a court action, that wrestling was actually uh, entertainment. Quote, quote unquote, yeah, entertainment and uh, stage. One other TV note, note uh, of well, Kachi, and then we'll bounce it into a into a, a movie one. Uh, January twenty seventh, nineteen seventy six, the sitcom Laverne and Shirley, which was a Happy Days spinoff. I saw Penny Marshall and Cindy uh, Cindy Williams first aired on ABC, and eventually became even a bigger hit than uh, Happy Days. But boy, did countless millions—you're talking fifty million plus—easily an episode of uh, a show like Laverne and Shirley because it was only not one, two, there were only three networks: ABC, NBC, CBS. That was it. That was TV, and then a couple local stations, right? Yep. So Laverne and Shirley premiered uh, this week, nineteen seventy-six, on ABC. And let's not forget, yeah, let's not forget Lenny and Squiggy. Lenny uh, and Squiggy, uh, of course. Of, yeah, of course. And Lenny went on to be the brother in Better Call Saul, but also, yeah. you can't forget the late great Mister. Michael McKeon, his name was. Yes, yeah. the late great Mister Eddie Mecca, who uh, yes, Carmine. Uh, Carmine who came in every time singing, uh, I went from rags to riches. Yes, awesome. And he was sort of the counterbalance on that show, the way Fonzie was in the uh, 
Happy Days universe. And of course, they always merged this and, 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 and did uh, crossover episodes. So when, when uh, Carmine and, and Fonzie were in the same episode, it was always actually uh, pretty cool. And you know, the funny now. thing about that is that's back when two single girls could live together and you would never see them be Odeo Doe. And today they'd be doing it all over the place. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. But, you know, they're, they, you know it, it, was, it was sort of weird because those are two people, Penny Marshall and Cindy Williams back in the day, who evidently didn't get along great with each other and had a fallout. And then, and then uh, one of them, I think, it was, I think it was Penny, one of them left the show for a while. And then I, I think came back. And I don't know, why can't we all get along, Ken? But, but uh, one, one of them went on, of course, the late Penny Marshall, went on to be a pretty darn good director. I agree with that. Directed big. Directed a league of their own. Directed uh, Awakening. Uh, Awakening. Robert uh, De Niro and Robin Williams. What I think is one of the best films Robin Williams ever did. Awakenings. Uh, yep, yeah, I agree with you. Penny Marshall was a really good uh, director. I actually wish she directed more films uh, when she had a rain uh, helming projects in Hollywood. Now, movie uh, this week in movies, January twenty fifth, nineteen seventy, Mash. Robert Altman's MASH, starring Donald Sutherland and Ellie Gould, makes his uh, world premiere. Uh, this is a case, this is an interesting subject, okay? Good movie, but I think the TV show was even better, more iconic. Alan Alda, uh, Mike Farrell, I think Alan Alda was iconic in that show. When it made me think when I, when I, when I, brought, that, when I brought that topic down, what TV shows superseded or better than the initial uh what movies based on tv shows were actually better than than the the movie i could argue i mean i love the untouchables or robert stack but i think on the untouchable brian de palma movie with kevin costner uh is one of the very best movies of the 1980s yeah and of course that one's the reverse because there the tv show came first and then the movie you know the the, the the thing about mash was that the movie is Doesn't the movie first of all doesn't go on as long, and it it doesn't get into the political nature of Mash. And to me, the perfect lineup of Mash was when we got rid of Colonel Blake and got rid of uh, Frank, and I I, now got 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 rid of uh, Trapper. And because I I think that the 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 it got to be less silliness and more of a message. And I really liked what that. Was then, the, what was it? The one. What was the one character from the movie that went to the TV show? Was Gary Burgos Radar, right? Yes. Was it anybody else? Because I mean, what was it? Uh, uh, Sally Kellerman played Hot Lips, right? right? Yep. And then Loretta Swit played her in the in the in the TV show. But I got to tell you, the last episode. We've talked about this before, me and Mike, many times on the show. The last episode of Mash. Good. Uh, uh, was it goodbye? Good long farewell? Something like that. To me. Just an unbelievably powerful piece of, of television. That is one of the TV shows that got its last episode 100% right. I'm talking uh, really good stuff. Now, some other stuff. And, it was, and the, re, the retelling of the death of the chicken is the thing that really made that scene. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, some other shows, or some other movies that were based on TV shows that hit, hit big. The Fugitive, obviously. Uh, good TV show. Huge movie, Harrison Ford, uh, critically uh, hailed. And then you got stuff like the Brady Bunch. I thought they did really fun Brady Bunch movies, actually, uh, that were somewhat 
bordered on parody, but very effective. And, you know, Equalizer 1 and 2 with Denzel Washington. I like the show a lot. I, I love Denzel Washington in those movies. I didn't like Starsky and Hutch as a movie because I hate when they take something that is supposedly, you know, a straight TV show drama and they make it a parody for a movie. I hate that. I absolutely hate that. Get Smart, I don't think was a good movie. I don't personally didn't think it was a very good movie with Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway. Good cast, but the TV show was uh, so so much better. But uh, And then even just did the stuff like Beverly Hills, Beverly Hillbillies, which is a horrible movie. Maybe not a great TV show either, but they were picking almost every property they could uh, for a period of time and producing it into a, uh, a, a feature film. And that, that's what still makes MASH so unique is the fact we were movie first and then TV show. Yep. Uh, let's bounce into our... you have anything before we get into our main topic? I don't. Okay, so here's our main topic. Our main topic. And I'm not gonna. I didn't do this in any real order because um, ten through one to me is is just irrelevant. This this is all interesting stuff. So we either gonna pick ten movie uh, ten movies uh, that we either believe are justified to win the Oscar for Best Picture, and we were like, we're looking back and say that was the right cho- choice, or I wish this one sort of won instead of, of the other one. I have five and five. When I saw one my first five, it's going to be uh, mo- movies that um, I'll, st- I'll actually start with movies that I wish won the Oscar for Best Picture instead of the one that didn't. Not that the one that didn't was, wasn't really good, because in most cases, it was really, really good. I just think over the test of time, these ones I wish would have one. Now, I, you normally start. I think I'll, I'm going to start with this one. Okay. Okay. Uh, my ten through five are going. My ten through six are going to be movies that I wish won instead of did win. Uh, first one is going to be, boy oh boy, uh, in 1988, Shakespeare in Love won the Oscar for Best Picture, and a movie called Saving Private Ryan did not. In retrospect, boy, did they get this wrong. Saving Private Ryan easily should have won the Oscar for Best Picture because one, it was the best movie. Two, it's the most repeatable, most popular movie since that uh, of all those five movies that were nominated. So I would have rather seen Saving Private Ryan win in 1988. Uh, here's a little bit one that I had to give a lot of thought to, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take it now. Back in the 30s, it was actually like at least like ten movies nominated for Best Picture, not five. And uh, I'm going to go back to 1939. Gone with the Wind won the Oscar for Best Picture. And it was a great movie. And it was iconic. And we said on this broadcast, more people went to see Gone with the Wind, pound for pound, bought a ticket than any other movie in the history of film. But The Wizard of Oz was also nominated for Best Picture that same year. In retrospect, I think The Wizard of Oz is one of the top 10 greatest movies ever made. Because it's one, it's a great movie. Two, it's a powerful movie. Three, it's an entertaining movie. And it is a timeless movie. A movie is absolutely timeless. So I sort of wish, in retrospect, Wizard of Oz won the Oscar for Best Picture. Number eight, let's go back to 1982. Uh, Gandhi, which is a solid film directed by Richard Attenborough. Ben Kingsley uh, played Gandhi, did a great job. Won the Oscar for Best Picture. But a movie called E.T. was nominated. And E.T., like The Wizard of Oz, is a timeless movie that spans generation, and people 50 years from now will watch E.T. I wish E.T. won the Oscar for Best Picture back in 1982. Number seven, this is a good one. This is a really good one, because in 1994, 
Forrest Gump won the Oscar for Best Picture. Four Weddings and a Funeral was nominated. Pulp Fiction was nominated. Quiz Show was nominated. But also, Frank Darabont's Shawshank Redemption, based on a Stephen King short story, was nominated. And over time, as much as I like Forrest Gump, and I do like it a lot, I do, and I like Pulp Fiction a lot, but to me, uh, Shawshank Redemption is an iconic perfect masterpiece of storytelling of acting and script writing i wish in retrospect shawshank redemption won the oscar for best picture and my number six this is a tough one in 1975 one flew over the cuckoo's nest won the oscar for best picture i love the movie i can't argue it but dog day afternoon was nominated nashville barry london and a movie called jaws was nominated also and in retrospect I wish Jaws won the Oscar for Best Picture because it is one of the greatest, absolute, iconic movie-going experiences that people continue to relive in 2023 in retro houses around the country. Jaws is one of the best movies ever made. I love One Fool Over the Cuckoo's Nest, don't get me wrong, but I wish Jaws won the Oscar in 1975, Ken. Yeah, a couple comments there. For Of course, as I pointed out to you uh, earlier this week on Facebook, if you actually run Jaws backwards, the heartwarming story of a shark that helps disabled people regain their limbs. I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful. I mean, it's... it's a- Let me ask you a question. Is that, how would you, would you classify that joke as, as cutting edge or safe? Uh, it's safe. It's much safer. Like I'm, it, I'm not going to do like the it. one about the whale, believe me. Uh, no, that, oh, one's, okay. that one's safe. Uh, I heard that one. I have to argue with 1939, only in that, and we, we talked about this before we did did our list. That's one of those years where, no, there should have been two winners, because, yes, um, Wizard of Oz is one of the top ten movies of all time. Gone with the Wind is one of the top five movies of all time. We had a, we just had two great movies in that year. Yeah, I can't argue with that. We did. That, that, those are two, two iconic uh, movies. I, I do agree with you on that one. And and so it's, it just shows that I mean, some years you got it, and some years you don't. And uh, 1939, they had there were a couple others that good movies from what I remember that year as well. So, um, a, a uh, we we had a, a rich cast that a rich uh, a group of movies that year. My my first. And I, I, I'm going to start with the ones that should have won or that I wish had won. Okay, okay, good. The, the 23rd Oscar in 1950, Best mm-hmm. Picture Oscar, went to All About Eve. All About mm-hmm. Eve is about the cutthroat world of Broadway. Well, that same year, there was a movie about the cutthroat world of Hollywood. And it's, it was by Billy Wilder, starred William Holden, Gloria Swanson, Sunset Boulevard. I think Sunset Boulevard has become more of a classic Maybe because Andrew Lloyd Webber made it into a musical, I don't know, but more of a classic since then. Just the perfect film noir, the perfect uh, movie about a washed-up, silent movie picture star, and uh, just just wonderful. And it was just the juxtaposition that year that you had a a Broadway dog-eat-dog win and a Hollywood dog-eat-dog was was actually second that year, but uh, I I really like uh, Sunset Boulevard. I've mentioned that before. Okay, what's your next one? My next one is the twenty fifth Academy Awards in nineteen fifty two. They went with a safe one. They went with Cecil B. DeMille's Greatest Show on Earth, and, and that was very safe. I agree. And they did that because Carl Foreman, the writer of the one that I would have picked, he took the Fifth Amendment before the McCarthy House Committee on Un-American Activities, 
and uh, he was blacklisted. Uh, there was a little movie uh, starring uh, uh, Gary Cooper that year, a Western, called High Noon. The, the basic premises of High Noon are about rampant paranoia. McCarthyism. McCarthyism. Yeah. Uh, it should have won a, a, an act. The, John Wayne, his movie, The Quiet Man, was nominated. John Wayne was considered for the Gary Cooper role in High Noon. John Wayne said High Noon should have won. I got to agree with the Duke. I, uh, I I would agree. With, I would agree with that. I, I've done. Uh, I did a revival of High Noon like four or five years ago. And I tell you, that movie. That's another timeless movie. The message of that film, the the uh, Gary Cooper obviously uh, had a likability and a connection with his audience that few had. Uh, I love that film. And and uh, Frankie Lane, of course, sang the theme song to that. And of course, they. That's why Mel Brooks got Frankie Lane to sing the theme song for Blazing Saddles. A little bit of trivia. Oh, okay. Uh, the 35th Academy Awards were in 1962. Lawrence of Arabia won. Ah, all right. But there was it's a, a little... little long. It's a little long, huh? Yeah, and there was a little movie starring Gregory Peck that year as Atticus Finch called To Kill a Mockingbird. And if we look at it, I don't know how many times I've seen Lawrence of Arabia on television, mm-hmm. but I know I've seen To Kill a Mockingbird several times. And, uh, I mean, to me... Maybe one of the best anti-racism movies ever made, and doesn't end with a sugar-coated ending. I agree with that argument. I, I like that pick. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia was obviously what, what, what they call a Hollywood epic. David Lean, Peter O'Toole, a really interesting actor as a lead. But I, I, I agree in retrospect. I, I think to killing Mo- to kill a mockingbird probably would have been a better pick. Now, my, the next one, this is one of those ones where, no, the, the, the winner of the 45th Academy Award for Best Picture, The Godfather, it deserved an Academy Award for Best Picture. But there was another movie that year I would have loved to see win the Academy Award because musicals were out of favor. And this musical wasn't your happy-go-lucky musical of the past. It dealt with homosexuality, um, uh, the, um, you know, the persecution of Jews and homosexuals in Nazi Germany, Liza Minnelli, Joel Grey, Cabaret. I would have loved to see Cabaret win win that year. It was nominated. It was a great movie. There's no way it was beating Godfather, but hey, it was still a great movie. Um, The 49th in 1976, there is no planet in the universe on which 3D or 3D not on which Rocky is a better picture than Taxi Driver. Not a, not, not a single single planet. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, that's on my list. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But get, you, you, I'm going to talk about that before I wrap up. But okay. get, make, make your point. I'm, I'm, my point is Rocky is your typical drivel of mm-hmm. the underdog who mm-hmm. puts up this fight. And I'm going to make another comment about Rocky when I get to the ones I'm glad won the Academy Award. But... It's, it is formula. It is not that great of a movie. It was, mm. uh, it, no, it, hey, as, let's just, let, before we, let me preface in 1976, because it's going to be on my, I'm glad it won. Okay. Rocky, all the president's men, uh, bound for glory network and taxi driver in 2023, in the last 15 years of Oscar, 
nothing has been even comparable to the greatness of that list in one category that we just mentioned. That's a good debate. And listen, I agree. Taxi Driver is iconic, and they don't make movies like that. The rawness of that movie, the direction of that film, the acting, it just it feels like a home movie. That movie's great. I agree with you. Uh, and I, I can't disagree with your point. I just have a different opinion the way I'm going to argue it in a few minutes. Okay, and then, you know, the funny thing is I don't have a movie from the last 16 years in my The Ones I'm Glad one. I, I, me neither, because I, I, honestly, it's just... The last fifteen years or so in this in the industry, the stuff that's been produced and and won, it's not comparable to what it used to be. It's just not comparable. Not in the same universe of and filmmaking. I, yeah, and I had to do an honorable mention: the fiftieth Academy Awards in nineteen seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to see any of the other hundred and twenty-nine movies that were eligible, other than Annie Hall, win, and especially Star Wars. But to me, you know, yeah. I, I I hate Annie Hall. What was it? What, what was nominated that year? That was that was was that Star Wars? That right? was Star Wars. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be a, a no brainer for most people. Uh, you have any 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 more in your ten through six? That was nope. Those were my ones that uh, I wish won. Okay, so now these ones we'll do. Uh, actually, we'll we'll do. Uh, we don't need to. Do, well, I'll just do my. I'll do my. Yeah. I'll do my six through through. Uh, I mean, I'll do my five through one. Yep. And then you do, and then you do yours. Okay, my number five in two thousand four. I was super happy that Clint Eastwood's Million Dollar Baby won the Oscar for Best Picture because I thought this was a really good film, great character study. Uh, Hillary Swank was really good. Morgan Freeman, Clint Eastwood. It's a good story. Uh, yeah, it threw a little bit of a curveball with the issue of euthanasia and quality of life that some people were a little bit perplexed. But overall, I really did dig this movie. Uh, the Aviator Ray Sideways also nominated that year, but I thought Million Dollar Baby was the right pick. Uh, number four, I'll go with uh, 97. I still think Titanic's the best movie released since 1997. Um, it deserved that Oscar. It deserved its praise. I wish they made movies like that. I mean, Cameron, I still say he's a great filmmaker. Uh, his Avatar stuff, I understand he has a fascination with that world, but I'd rather watch Titanic in a movie theater. And they're actually going to re-release Titanic in the next couple of months in a 4K 3D uh, big screen IMAX process. If you've never seen Titanic in a movie theater, it is well worth seeing. Me and my wife, actually, Ken, back in the day, saw the movie seven consecutive weekends in 97. So I was super happy that it won the Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, number, th- number, number three, I am glad Rocky won the Oscar for Best Picture. And I don't disagree with you that that Taxi Driver is a pure movie might be better. But the franchise that it bore... For this generation to see Rocky, Rocky, Rocky two, three, four, even five, Rocky Bobo and the two Creed movies, I, I thought it is a tremendous achievement by Sylvester Stallone. And I do think, beside Rocky, if you take the characters in that film, think of the character: Rocky, you got Adrian, you got Mickey, beautifully played by Burgess Meredith. You got Paulie, played by Burt Young. Uh, going to the ring announcer, to the promoter, who I don't recall the actor who played that promoter, but he was incredible. And Apollo Creed, uh, played by Carl Weathers, one of the great characters, supporting characters in the history of film. Those characters combined make that movie, for me, an iconic movie. And a tough, tough category. And when the voters actually had to vote on who they wanted to win Oscar for Best Picture, it had to be a really... Uh, tough 
process. But I am glad Rocky won the Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, my number two, uh, Silence of the Lambs in 91. It felt different that a movie like that won the Oscar for Best Picture. What basically is, is a horror film uh, disguised as a drama, but it is a great movie with two of the classic mono mono characters on the big screen of all time in Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster. I'm a big fan of that film, and I was glad it won. And my number one, I did say The Godfather. When I look back, I think The Godfather was a game changer in film because it showed that you can make a three-hour, almost three-hour in length adult drama that was unbelievably compelling with great actors, a great story, and a world that uh, just enveloped people back in the uh, in movie theaters back in 1972. I uh, thought Godfather 2, which won the Oscar in 74, was equally as great. But uh, I, I think it's really fun to look back at the history as a whole of Oscar and understand that movies in, 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 in a lot of instances are products of their time. But the ones that are timeless are the ones that are timeless. And that, to me, is a very special thing in filmmaking. I, I have to agree. And we actually have two overlaps, but I'm going to, I'll put a little different spin when I go to those. Sure. Um, uh, my, and I, again, I, I went chronologically in reverse rather than going one, two, three, four, five. And it seems like we both did that. But um, 2006, the. The Academy Awards made up to Martin Scorsese for the fact that, he, that his picture should have won before that. The, uh, you'd had DiCaprio, Damon, Nicholson, Wahlberg, the Irish Mafia, The Departed. Um, great. I love the story about the undercover cop and the mole in the police force from the mob, which gave you... I don't know if I've ever seen that before, where both were active in the same movie. I think in a lot of ways, The Departed winning in 2006 mm-hmm. made up for the greatest uh, the greatest slight of mob movies possible when Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas. I mean, how often do you have conversations about, boy, I, I just got to see me some more Dances with Wolves. And just about every week we talk about Goodfellas. Well, that's why I consistently make the argument that the 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 Oscar voters, when you vote for, for, for who wins, you should say to yourself, the first rule of thumb should be, who's going to watch these movies and these performances in 20 years and beyond, right? That should, that's the, should be the barometer. And I, I, I don't disagree. Goodfellas is a movie that that spans, that, that gains fans every year. Because yep. more and more people will watch the film, and I don't disagree with you. I mean, very few people, I doubt, are saying, boy, I can't watch me, can't wait to see that Dances with Wolves and repeat viewing. And, uh, that is an interesting argument. And that, then, of course, my second one on list also from 2004, same as you, 77th Academy Awards. And one thing that strikes me about Million Dollar Baby is think back to Spaghetti Westerns and Dirty Harry and ask yourself, did you ever see Clint's Clint Eastwood becoming that kind of director. And yeah, it's and amazing. He, and, and he became, uh, again, that was well, it would, the, the character driven movies that completely hook you. Uh, that was a good one. But Million Dollar Baby ends the way Rocky should have ended because had Rocky gotten into the, the ring with Apollo Creed, he would have ended up brain dead. 
That's <laughs> now that, that 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 that's why I don't like Rocky. It's too much of the Hollywood okay. ending. Uh, okay. Even though he doesn't win that fight, he's still alive, which wouldn't wouldn't have happened. Uh, 2002's Chicago, and I w- okay. I'm happy that that one. You know, Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta Jones, Richard Gere, Teddy Diggs, Rob Marshall as the director. Hey, he, he could direct too, just like his sister, because they actually did a great job of taking the minimalist stage production of Fosse's musical, moving it to the screen. And it was the first really good musical, other than animated musicals, that we had had in some time. And it gave hope that we would have some in the future. And, well, we have, we, we've failed, other than maybe West Side Story, I mean, we failed. Cats did not go to the screen very well. And a few of the others that we've tried since then didn't go to the screen very well. But I was happy to see Cabaret get some, some love. But I do think that Hairspray with John Travolta was was one of the. I, I do think that was one of the best, better musicals made in a very long time when that when that one came out. That yeah, was a good one. Yeah, I, I had the pleasure of seeing it with Harvey Fierstein on Broadway, and it was amazing as a Broadway production. Okay. Uh, my, my next one. Do you remember when the Los Angeles Rams played the uh, New England Patriots in the Super Bowl? I do. Well, I was so sure that that game was going to be such a blowout. I went to see A Beautiful Mind. Okay. Uh, and I really liked that movie. And of course, I did too. Russell Crowe, it has Ed Harris, and we love Ed Harris in anything. Yes. Uh, Jennifer Connolly, her blue eyes in anything, I'll sit there and watch all day. Richard Plummer. And it was actually two years in a row that Russell Crowe was in the Best Picture winner because it was the year after Gladiator. And it just, they just, it, it, and seeing Shutter Island a few years later, it was like, wow, it's the same thing. They do such a great job of creating this artificial world and making you think it's real. I just loved that movie. I didn't know how it was going to end. The end was a big twist for me. And I just, I, I really, I, I actually bought the book and read the book as a result of seeing the movie. He's really good in it. Then in 1991, uh-huh. as you know, Silence of the Lambs won that year. It, ironically, there was another movie nominated that year, the first time an animated feature was ever nominated for Best Picture, and that was, of course, Beauty and the Beast, which could have described Silence of the Lambs. The Beauty, Jodie Foster, and the Beast, of course, uh, Hannibal Lecter. But one of, the reason, one of the reasons why I think that it was, I agree with you, I mean, it deserved to win. First of all, F- Foster and Hopkins were great casting. We saw that in the sequel where Foster wasn't in it and wasn't the same thing. But think of how many times we have now mentioned that over the years. In the, in the final episode of Two and a Half Men, there was a takeoff on the person being down in the pit in the basement because Rose has Charlie in the basement. Um, I don't know how many times I've mentioned to somebody when, when we're talking about food how much I love liver with some fava beans and a, and a good Chianti. <laughs> I mean, it absolutely, absolutely became a part of our culture. It deserved, yes. it deserved to win. And anytime we talk about it, we have to mention the fact that, you know, Anthony Hopkins was barely on the screen and we probably remember him actually being in 90% of the movie. I, I, you know, it's interesting because a couple years ago I, I did, uh, we did a revival here at the theater uh, in for Halloween week of Silence of the Lambs. And I guess he's, I don't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing in my mind here, but I think he's like 16 minutes of screen time, yeah. but it does feel like 
He's in the movie ninety percent of the time. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking it was seventeen, so we're both pretty darn close. Yeah, but, but it's and and it's uh, it's just such a uh, to me such a great movie, and uh, it's one like we say if a movie deserves to win the Academy Award if it's something you still talk about thirty years later, and or when your wizard agree. your Wizard of Oz if you're still talking about it over eighty years later and doing revivals of it, it's probably a good movie. I agree. So that's my so list. That's very good. I, I thought that was actually uh, a lot of fun. Now, before we wrap it up, and I just want to say to the audience, always thank you very much for listening to people on our podcast, to WoWo, and to uh, also... To Cool 98.5 WXPM. Anything else on uh, your mind to talk about, Ken? I'm pretty good for today. Okay, hopefully we, we this is the beginning of getting people more back on track. I gotta say that the movies I watch in the theater, I felt more compelled to go to a movie theater and watch a movie more now for whatever reason than I have. I think in the last uh, couple years, I think we're gonna start to see more traction as we go along because 2023 does have a better slate of films being released theatrically again to the audience thanks for listening to ken always a pleasure and uh everybody have a great day thanks for listening to movie maniacs download one of our archived episodes be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts Podcasts by Federated Media.